Everybody. Welcome to the December 23rd, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. It's officially time for our year in review episode, and you know that also means we bring out our favorite holiday sweaters. So grab some eggnog, sit back, and enjoy reminisc reminiscing with us because, yes, that just happened. That being 2016, we're going to ask everyone to give us their best uh, word or phrase that encapsulates 2016. Patty Calhoun from Westward, we always start with you. Your one word or phrase to best describe what we just saw in 2016. Well, in 2015, I went with Trumpy because the town, the state was so grumpy and full of Trump. And I predicted 2016 would be Trumptious, but who knew just how <laughs> Trumptious it would be? Indeed. Your, your uh, uh, political uh, predictions have not always gone so well, but your one-word stuff has gone very well. Yeah, I, I should stick with that and just give very quick answers. <laughs> David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, your, your one-word or phrase for 2016. Peronismo, the desire, as in Juan Domingo Perón, the dictator of Argentina, to instead of having a functioning republic, to be led by an authoritarian strong leader who will rule by decree and get things done. Both, both parties nominated someone very much in the Peronismo tradition, following up on the Peronismo uh, tradition initiated by President, uh, if Congress won't act, I will, and the guy who fortunately is the part of our republic that survives has lost more 9-0 Supreme Court decisions uh, than anybody in memory. Well, if you had, along with your eggnog, your CIO bingo card, Latin American dictator mentions from David Copel, you just got a bingo, ladies and gentlemen, so congratulations on that. Eric Sonderman, uh, political analyst, your one word or phrase for 2016. First of all, I have to call a rules violation here. You cannot do South American dictator references until the second topic of the show. <laughs> I thought that was in yeah. the contract, Good point. David. It's a good point. Uh, uh, there are so many words you go with. Uh, let me go with alarming. And I would use that word regardless of this election outcome. I'm talking more about the tone of the campaign, the lack of character, shall we say, of both candidates, not equivalently so, in very different respects. This was an alarming year for our republic in many respects. Penfield Tate, attorney with QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Your one word or phrase for 2016. Depressing. Depressing. Shameful. It's a close second, but <laughs> depressing. <laughs> depressing. Let's get to it. We've reviewed a lot of presidential elections around this table, seven to be exact, but none like the one we've just witnessed. 2016 saw a presidential race between the two least popular candidates in modern history and a campaign that fit that bill. Colorado played a major role in the race, starting in the primaries where state Republicans voted for Ted Cruz and were a continued thorn in Donald Trump's side at the national convention. Meanwhile, state Democrats were all in for Bernie Sanders in the primary, but delivered the state to Hillary in November. Patty, uh, the presidential election uh, campaign that was beyond the pale in so many ways, your thoughts? Well, and amazing how Colorado was in play. At first it wasn't in play, then it was in play, then it wasn't in play, then it was in play. So at least network TV got some ads out of it. Um, we all got to be assaulted by those ads. 
I like it when Colorado is contrarian, which it was. It did not exactly go like the rest of the country. You know, they went for Bernie Sanders. This is, of course, the place that went for Jerry Brown, too. Went for uh, and then voted for Clinton. The Republicans just went bananas over ev almost everything in this state. They objected at the national convention. They'd gone for Cruz. We got called rigged by Donald Trump, which is really wonderful. That We were the first state to be rigged back in April. Um, so that's fun. But you just cannot believe what really happened in this election on every level. The Hillary Clinton campaign just not getting it. But Donald Trump, the fact that we've got a reality TV guy now in reality as our president is just astonishing. And it's going to be a Trumpious 2017. <laughs> David, do you think Colorado Republicans will pay for their intransigence? Oh, probably, because our Peronist president uh, has made revenge a high priority, at least verbally. On the other hand, uh, some of his cabinet appointments have been more inclusive. So we'll, we'll see how long. He's capable of acting mature uh, from time to time, although not sustaining that. So we'll, we'll have to wait to see on that one. Uh, but as we think about the, what was a, a close election, as it turned out, Let's not lose sight of the longer-term trend, and what we see is who the who is the gigantic winner of the past quarter century in American politics who completed his triumph this this election, and that's William Jefferson Clinton. He started his project of corrupting American society with an idealistic law student from Yale named Hillary Rodham, and then by the time he'd finished his second term as president, he'd corrupted the entire Democratic Party to defend a shameless and lawless liar. And then, to show what a unifier he is, he's now corrupted the entire Republican Party. So they go down to his standards and say, oh, our candidate's a liar. He's post-truth. He doesn't mean anything he says, and we like that. He does sexual assaults just like Bill Clinton does. No problem at all like that. Oh, those old fuddy-duddies from 1997 who said, character counts, morals are important, I'm a values voter. He's wiped them all out. We are all Clintonistas now. <laughs> Eric, I think it's fitting that in our year review show that David, throughout 2016, has given you a variety of difficult segues, gives you this one. Um, I have absolutely no idea where to go with this. Uh, your take on the 2016 presidential election and what we discussed here. I have no idea where to go with that either. I'm tempted <laughs> to say I'm out of here. <laughs> See you in 17. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking this morning before the show, put yourself back a decade. So it's 2005, 2006, 2007, somewhere in there. And someone offered you a bet that the next two presidents of the United States would be Barack Hussein Obama, emphasis on the middle name, who at that point in time was a relatively new senator, backbench senator from Illinois, having been a backbench state legislator in Springfield, Illinois, followed by a reality TV star, developer of mixed reputation named Donald Trump. I mean, you know, the, you can't make this stuff up. Um, politics is action-reaction. Uh, Barack Obama could only have been elected president in the aftermath of George W. Bush and the country's desire for change, intense change. Donald Trump, to my thinking, can only be elected president in the aftermath of Barack Obama and some of the excesses or perceived excesses there. It has been an incredibly wild ride. Um, if there is a hidden blessing here, I'm not going to adopt David's tone or even David's content, but at least the country is out, and the Democratic Party in particular, 
can move to the next chapter and is out from under that Clinton umbrella, that Clinton shadow that has been there uh, for the last couple of decades. Uh, what kind of president Donald Trump will be? You know, uh, there have been some pleasant surprises in the transition so far. We're taping this a couple weeks in advance of the airing. So who knows, you know, what's going on and what tweets are getting sent minute to minute, much less week to week or two weeks to two weeks. Um, my last question that I've been trying to grip, come to grips with is, would any, was Hillary Clinton such a weak candidate that almost any Republican would have beaten her, a la a Marco Rubio, a Scott Walker, uh, even a Chris Christie, God forbid? Or was Donald Trump, even though we all thought how weak he was, was he really the only one who could pull this off? when a Mitt Romney and others couldn't win this presidency? Was he the only one that could break through that blue wall and turn Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and other places red? I don't know the answer to that, but she was a weak candidate. Penn, uh, we saw this presidential election hit a variety of high water marks for uh, disgust, things said on the trail, things tolerated by all of it. Have we seen that high water mark and can it now recede, or do you think now our elections from now on will be hurtling this bar? Well, first of all, happy holidays. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, in many respects, what troubles me is I think the worst is yet to come. Uh, we have a president-elect who his closest advisors and family still can't take his cell phone away from him and tell him tweeting at 2 a.m. Or, or, or 3 a.m. is not an appropriate thing for the president of the United States to do. You send out one tweet saying you don't want a new Air, Air Force One, and Boeing stock starts to plummet. Um, and so, no, I, I, don't, I don't think we're done yet. Um, you know, I was very concerned about this this past year, and, and it played out through the entire election. One thing I, I would reference in, in Eric's question is, I think only Donald Trump could have beaten Hillary Clinton. Because I think what we've seen occur is the discourse in this country sink to such a low level. The only Republican nominee who could have beat her was someone, number one, who the establishment didn't really want as their nominee initially, and number two, someone who was willing to say anything, do anything, and, and frankly lie at the drop of a hat and then deny lying when you were even caught on camera telling the lie. To, to win an election, and that's what we got. Um, Colorado is still a, a very odd place. I mean, Cruz and Sanders, we're one of the few states that did that. Um, and it was so weird that even Colorado Republicans walked out of the RNC because they're like, we're not doing this Trump guy. This is insane. Um, but that's who's the president. And the level of the dialogue, the discourse was just, it was embarrassing, it was ugly. It was demeaning, and I think it was hurtful to a lot of Americans. And so the problem is now that you're a president-elect and soon to be president, you still have to govern. And it's kind of difficult. I think it'll be difficult for people to transition from saying, lock her up, she's a witch, she's horrible, or she fits some of the descriptions that David just gave of her. And then, you know, you're not prosecutor or you, you make favorable remarks towards her or President Obama. It's almost as if you're telling people, don't ever listen to what I say because it can't be believed. Just listen to me in the moment, and I'll change my mind um, next week. So I, I think we're in for some really uh, distressing and difficult times as a nation. 
and in terms of our role on the world stage, because that's where I think the greatest uh, threat to the country may lie. The 2016 election also saw Michael Bennett face not much of a fight for re-election, even though the final numbers were closer than anyone figured. Mike Coffin faced a fierce fight for Morgan Carroll in the 6th CD, but ended up winning by over 8 points. While the majorities in the state legislature stayed the same, voters seemed to be in a yes mood, passing two state amendments and three different propositions. Uh, David, from what you saw, what was the most surprising outcome on the local level? Uh, the differential you just mentioned of... of Scott losing by only three points in the statewide Senate race against Bennett versus Morgan Carroll losing by eight Glenn. against Mike uh, Glenn, yeah. Glenn, sorry, uh, losing by eight, eight points. Glenn only losing by three, Carroll losing by eight. Nobody at this table ever predicted anything remotely close to that. I don't think anything I read by any political writer in Colorado predicted that. And it wasn't that the writers were all ignoring something that was going on or you know, we're being irrational. It's just that the politics is a little more unusual, which I makes it more interesting, ultimately. But, boy, this is a race that the Republicans could have picked up the Senate seat. You know, Michael, as, and as it turned out, Michael Bennett, all these hysterical uh, emails that he kept sending out for the last two years of, you know, I'm the most targeted Democratic senator. We can't keep the Senate. If I lose, I'm the most endangered. I'm an endangered species. Give me money now, please, you know, before midnight, uh, or I may not make it. I'm like Tinkerbell. It turned out he was right. <laughs> you know, man, if, if, they're, if they're national Republican party had put in some money in this, or if the Republicans had built a, a good enough infrastructure for a, a grassroots Senate campaign, that might have turned out differently. And boy, Morgan Carroll, she's a strong candidate. She worked her heart out. You could make small criticisms of what she did, but if a candidate that strong can't, can't even come, only comes eight points behind Mike Kaufman, I, I think that says in 2018, 2020, Republican Democrats shouldn't bother with that race, and they should wait until 2022 when he might be redistricted into something tougher. Eric, there's a lot of things to take on here, the propositions, the amendments, but also look at the Senate race. Do you think state Republicans are going to be kicking themselves for a while that they didn't, even if not getting uh, a, a different candidate, but not even getting behind it? Daryl Glenn didn't have enough cash to put out a TV ad until mid-October. I, mean, I mean, it was a U.S. Senate race, and he still came within three points, and that was actually managed as a decent campaign. Even with who he was, he had a shot. It seems to me a lot of Republicans can be sitting back saying, Man, we could have had that. I mean, just for accuracy, I think it was a little over four points. But the okay. point, the point remains uh, that it was much closer than anyone anticipated. Yes, there have to be some what-ifs. Given the tenor of the year, there have to be what-ifs among the Colorado Republican Party that they didn't take full advantage of the opportunity. That is not a new theme uh, for the Colorado Republican Party. I think this year showed that... Uh, and, and we comment on this after the election. There is not an inexorable march in Colorado from red to purple to some shade of blue. I think we are firmly in the purple column. I always look at the ballot to try to find one race down low on the ballot that really received no money, no public attention, and that tells you what the tenor of the year was. For me this year, it was a race for the CU Board of Regents, the at-large seat, between two very accomplished women. Alice Madden was the Democrat, Heidi Ganahl was the Republican. Both very credible, good candidates. And, in, and neither, those, those are way down the political food chain, don't get a lot of attention. In this case, Heidi Ganahl won that race by seven points. 
that tells me what this year was about. That explains uh, the closeness of the Senate race that no one saw. That explains the, the victory margin for Mike Kaufman, uh, et cetera. On the ballot issues, real, real quickly, I think there were three themes. Political reform, yes. Amendment 71, Amendments 107 and 108 to open up primaries to unaffiliated, et cetera. Um, uh, autonomy, yes. That was uh, Amendment 106 in terms of medical aid and dying, and I think that was a theme in some other ballot issues. Tax increases, no. Whether it was Colorado Care or whether it was the tobacco tax, those went down and went down pretty substantially, overwhelmingly in the case of Colorado Care. Penn, in 2016, uh, Mike Hoffman got both barrels. He had a national uh, funding from Democrats coming at him. He had Morgan Carroll, who was is from Aurora, who had uh, significant political backing. This was not um, uh, just a, a run-the-mill Democratic candidate. And he still won by eight points. Does he get promoter status now? Uh, I don't think so. Um, and I think that he'll continue to draw strong opposition. Uh, and I think part of that is Mike's fault for some of the positions he's taken. I mean, it, you know, he began to disavow and distance himself, but he was part of the birther movement with a number of other folks early on, and, and people remember that. I, I think what all of these elections show us is that, and, and I wish I could come up with a better color. I don't know if Colorado is purple, because what we now see is we probably have four or five political parties here. We have the left wing of the Democratic Party and the moderate wing of the Democratic Party and the right wing of the Republican Party and the moderate wing of the, wing of the Republican Party. And I think that describes a lot of what happened and how. Um, Michael Bennett could have been beaten, it, you know, clearly. But there were many in the Republican establishment who did not want Daryl Glenn as their candidate. They thought he was too extreme. They thought he was too fringe. And they thought he couldn't get there. So he couldn't raise money locally. And were it not for national forces bringing in some money, he probably wouldn't have been as competitive as he was, which was surprising. And Eric's right. He couldn't run a uh, TV until the very last minute. And many people thought it was a workout video um, rather than a, a political TV commercial. Because you didn't know to the end that this was the guy running for the U.S. Senate. He didn't even say it. Um, so, but he still came close to beating an incumbent Senator um, Mike Kaufman, you know, Morgan Carroll is no slouch. She ran a good race. She ran a credible race. She touched on all of the right issues. But at the end, Mike Kaufman is doing TV commercials with people from, you know, who had their origins in different countries in Africa. So he's pulling in the immigrant community, not a community he'd been associated with necessarily during the bulk of his career and not one that he'd necessarily spoken favorably of. And, and so, you know, you got the whole Sanders and Cruz thing. So uh, coalitions in Colorado are much more fluid than they once were. And to Eric's point, I think it simply reemphasizes the fact that whether that you have an R or a D behind your name, at a certain level, Colorado voters really pay attention to the candidate and the person running for that race. Me, Colorado's political code of many colors. Yes, something like that. Uh, something like that. The Technicolor code. <laughs> I like that. Uh, uh, Patty, wrap it up for us. Were you surprised at all the yes votes on the amendments and propositions? Well, certainly by 71. I think most of us at this table thought that would go down partly because of the cranky electorate. The ones who wanted a part in the primary, they want to say, but they didn't 
they bought all the lines about the, how easy it was to amend the Constitution, even though now it's going to be a system that is going to make it very hard for citizens to come forward and do, say, what Dick Lamb did back in 72 with the Olympics. I mean, if you have to get all 35 Senate, seat, Senate districts putting in a fair number of votes to push through a petition, it's going to be very tough. So that was a surprise. Um, the fact that it was so close for Michael Bennett was certainly a surprise because Daryl Glenn was almost non-existent in the media. He wasn't in the Post after he had refused to give interviews. He, he gave us a very brief interview and then just disappeared. I think if he'd been more present because he's an interesting character, he might have done well. The other thing, you can color Colorado bruise purple. I mean, don't, didn't everyone just feel bruised after that election? It was a mess. And not black and blue, just bruised purple. But it, the game has changed so much now because of social media. You don't have the yard signs. You don't need to go knock on every door. You can reach every voter easily on your own without buying TV time. And I think we'll see a lot of new smart strategists come up. Let's get a quick take on this last one, not election-oriented. The city of Denver continued to enjoy booming growth, but also experienced growing pains. How the city deals with the homeless, including two sweeps to move tent cities, and finding funding for affordable housing made major headlines around, uh, throughout 2016. And the reputation of the 16th Street Mall fell into disrepair. Eric, your quick take on what we saw from uh, Denver. It was a jump ball question. Uh, my favorite social media take for Patty's comment uh, a couple days ago when we had, you know, a dusting of snow was that Denver's getting 10,000 new people a month and none of them know how to drive in snow. <laughs> uh, uh, I think the two real prominent subtexts in Denver, one is the mall, which becomes a worse embarrassment and a worse problem almost by the week or the month. But the one related to those 10,000 new people a month is just the increasing level of congestion in this city, which is a, a headache, a growing problem to the economy, uh, and a growing political problem for people who hold or aspire to office in Denver. Pen, your quick take on what we saw from Denver in 2016. You know, I think Denver has lived out the maxim that the, the, the level of government that's most important is the one closest to the people, and local government is what touches you most. I think that for a number of years, spanning several administrations, I think Denver has missed the point in dealing with the social infrastructure of the community. Um, often people focus on building this, building that, but the social infrastructure has begun to deteriorate and not enough emphasis has been placed on it. And, the, uh, and I understand that's probably the hardest thing to fix. But if you don't fix it, you don't have a great city and you don't have a growing, thriving city. You may grow with numbers, but you may not be thriving the way you want to. Witness 16th Street Mall. Patty, uh, what do you think for what we saw so far? Well, every big issue that we started 2016 with in Denver is still on the table. We've solved nothing. The homeless is still a problem. The affordable housing might do a little, but it is just a drop in the bucket. The mall is a mess. We don't have the decision on I-70 and where it's going to go. The stock show, how it's going to be financed, we don't have that. We have the airport terminal. There's that mega project there that's going to turn it maybe into the Walmart of airports with a huge shopping mall, but that's not decided yet. So basically... Denver government gets kind of an un incomplete for 2016 on the big issues. David, wrap it up for us. I think there's some good new leadership at the sheriff's office, and I think that's hopefully on its way to fixing what's been a, a long-term problem in the city. The mayor and the city government can't solve problems that have been around since 
the dawn of time, uh, including the fact that some people are going to be homeless. But they can provide security in a finite area like the 16th Street Mall, and the failure to do that is a real problem. Uh, the congestion problem is deliberately created. The bike lanes are less about bikes than they are about trying to discourage people from driving. It's the same policy that de Blasio's carrying out in New York City, the, the war on people who drive automobiles. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Year. You have the entire year of 2016 to pick from. Patty, start us off. I've got, it's a little more obscure, but the fact that we could not ban slavery, remove the word slavery from our state constitution, part of people have interpreted it as, oh, this just shows how much hate there is out there. I don't think so. I think the voters actually were completely confused by that one. But still, Colorado generally has a reputation of being a good state, a state that treats its citizens pretty well, where people are nice to each other. Everyone still talks about how friendly we are until we're driving in snow. But the fact that we cannot get slavery out of the state constitution was the biggest prize of the year. It's a disgrace. David. I'll choose a year as a disgrace, which caused all the disgraces this year, the 2012 and the election. And I'd especially say to, to Democrats, what if you could go back and, and you didn't run this vicious campaign against Mitt Romney saying that he's a racist and he gives people cancer and he's a religious freak and all this kind of stuff. And suppose that he'd won that election. Well, and then maybe he'd gotten reelected this year. We'd have a president who recognized when it was needed that Russia is our greatest adversary who would have reformed Obamacare and have it be something that's functioning instead of collapsing and would have done moderate immigration reform. Eric. Disgrace of the year has been the theme around this table for the year, the theme across the country this year. Penn used the word shameful in the first go-around. This whole political cycle has been shameful. It has been disgraceful. Presidential race first and foremost. This country deserves, deserves better in the way of candidate selection. This country needs better in the way of discourse and dialogue. This is alarming and a warning sign. Penn. I'm going to end up where I started out. Um, it, the this national election was shameful. It was disgraceful. It's an embarrassment. Now, the bigger disgrace next year will be if we as a community don't acknowledge how bad this was and start to do something about it. We've got to get our arms around this because there's a dangerous fraying in this democracy. It's been a chat of years. Let's do our Say Something Nice rather quickly. Say something nice about 2016. Good outcome from Colorado's election. SCFD was passed again, and at the end of the year, a good new director, Deb Jordy, is put in. David. The Constitution of the United States of America, which should be supported by people of all political stripes and is our best safeguard against the kind of people uh, who ran for office this year. Eric. Any citizen of this country, including a number of our viewers, who gets out of their own self-imposed echo chamber, who seeks out news and opinions from other sources beyond what they're just comfortable in, who keeps their head about them, who understands the threat but doesn't re overreact to the threat. Ken. And in spite of everything that was wrong, we are still a great country and a great community. And to watch either through Colorado Gives or other programs to see how Americans have banded together and worked collectively and collegially to move our society forward to help one another, I still have hope. 
That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. I want to add to the comments we had from both uh, Eric and Penn that I want to thank all the viewers out there who've been watching Car Inside Out. We've heard from you all year long. Whether you like what you hear, what you don't like what you hear, regardless, you're still tuning in and checking us out. That's why we're here to do this every week, especially in these crazy sweaters celebrating the end of 2016. Be sure to tune in next week when we offer our look ahead to 2017 and make surefire predictions to go wrong. Also, you can check out the Colorado Inside Out podcast feed on iTunes and on Google Play. On behalf of everyone here at Colorado Public Television, we hope you have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a wonderful holiday with friends and family. I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.